Hello, and welcome to Moving Beyond Stigma. I am your host, Michelle Crossman. Every episode, we are here to talk about all things mental health, and today we have a very important topic. We are going to be speaking about homelessness and the housing crisis and programs that are available in the GTA. Today, we have two guests who work within the Canadian Mental Health Association who help combat these significant challenges. Welcoming Mark Dwyer, who's the clinical lead for the Housing First program, and Melissa Banton, who is a housing outreach worker with the Housing Program. Welcome, Mark and Melissa. Hello. Hi. Mark, I would love to hear a little bit about what you do and what has brought you into this work. The work that we do, uh, uh, I think it, it only is important once you get everyone involved uh, to kind of help out with it, as you know, with, with mm-hmm. the housing crisis and everything. So every person within it is is important, right from the person who is experiencing homelessness to uh, right up to our CEO of uh, CMHA. So we all kind of have to contribute. But um, what brought me, I guess, um, I, I, you know, I uh, come from a family uh, where my mom was a psychiatric nurse. I have family members uh, that uh, are in healthcare. Uh, I have family members that have experienced uh, some major mental health. Um, so I think I just kind of fell into it, um, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, this is kind of, uh, what I have an interest in and I've been doing it for 20 plus years now. So, um, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's definitely a long-term commitment for you. And that's really, really incredible that you've been able to step into that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I stepped into it. I, I, <laughs> I, maybe I was dragged into it, but that's I, totally fair. <laughs> but uh, but I'm glad that I did. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like it is it is a service that greatly needs uh, more press, more uh, people involved, uh, and understanding uh, to kind of help people out. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense, definitely. And Melissa, how about you? How did you get started and brought yourself into this? Um, this is going to sound really weird, (laughs) but, uh, when that movie Hannibal Lecter came out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was so fascinated by the psychiatrist and what questions they were asking to get, to dig deeper into his mindset. Yeah. So I was like, I want to do that. I want (laughs) to ask questions. Everyone's got a story, a backstory and you know, how they make decisions, when they make decisions and why they make decisions. So I was always interested in, you know, people's stories and um, why they feel the way they feel. And, you know, and just because, you know, the cover looks like that doesn't mean the story's like that. So um, I was one of those kids in high school that were friends with everybody. And I listened to everybody and everyone's like, yeah, just go talk to Melissa. Just, yeah, she's good. She'll help you. But (laughs) when I think about it, my mom was like that as well. Like everyone knew my mom, everyone came over to my mom's house for dinner or just to talk or just to get a hug. So now that I think about it, like 
that's genetic, right? It's a, yeah. it's a family trait <laughs> of, of uh, hearing and, and, and feeling people's stories and, and, and knowing people truly, um, you know, for everything. So, yeah, I love that. That's, that's a great story, actually. <laughs> uh, definitely wasn't expecting the movie part into it, but that's, that's honestly like so fascinating. And I can actually totally relate to that as well. Um, just with get like, I've always been fascinated by how people's brains work and what like motivates them and what, you know, challenges them and just we're all so unique and really digging into that can be so fascinating and you know everyone has their own story and their own motivation and their own things that get to them get them to the places they are and you know I guess yeah that's really cool I've uh, definitely I've definitely been that person who will like sit and watch um, either like a tv series or a movie and get so fascinated by like the psychiatry behind it all and yeah. things that are being asked of them or their explanations. Um, yeah, that, that's really, really great. <laughs> all right. I would love to hear a little bit more, and I guess either one of you can answer this question, um, just a little bit more about the actual specifics in the programs that are out there and that are available. So uh, the Housing First program uh, and Strengthening Communities in Scarborough. So mm -hmm. that I'm you know, I'm involved with uh, both of those. Uh, I'll start with, I guess, the Housing First program. Um, so really, it, it's it's something that uh, obviously stemmed out of the fact that, uh, you know, uh, we need to do something different. And uh, and I guess they were doing uh, things different in other countries, uh, you know, uh, over in uh, the Scandinavian countries. And even down in New York, there was a lot of, you know, Okay, how do how do we you know uh, reach uh, people that are experiencing homelessness, um, and make them feel like they uh, are empowered or, or trying to build their spirit uh, through a home? And uh, so you know it's not a you know it's a simplistic uh, name. Housing first, you know, do that first. You know, get the foundation, get people feeling uh, like they actually have something of their own. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the other thing, other things will come later. So, you know, uh, the philosophy would be, you know, no, no judgment, no, you know, uh, um, you know, waiting for uh, people to be ready uh, to, to to actually get housing. It's it's no, you know, if they're experiencing major mental health, if they're experiencing uh, addictions, if if they have involvement with. Uh, uh, the justice system and that all of that stuff, you can't really work on that until you actually feel safe and stable yeah. in your own place and have that uh, stability. Um, so yeah, you know, that, that's kind of it in a nutshell for the housing first piece. Um, and then strengthening, uh, uh, communities in Scarborough. So, you know, let's talk about an underserved community. Uh, Scarborough mm -hmm. is definitely, uh, an area of the GTA that, that has been left um, without a lot uh, of support. Yeah, and I guess uh, in our own part, we we came up with uh, you know a way to kind of extend ourselves into Scarborough uh, through Toronto Community Housing. Uh, there's a couple buildings that we're affiliated with right now. One uh, we've been affiliated with for close to nine years. Uh, another 
been about three-ish. Uh, I don't want to say it's a pilot project because I think we're beyond that point now, but uh, really, uh, you know, going into these hard to reach high needs buildings where uh, a lot of people are, uh, sad to say, it, it's almost like a warehousing of, mm-hmm. of people that, that have been released uh, from incarceration or, uh, you know, uh, coming from some pretty uh, difficult scenarios. And then, uh, you know, having access to housing, which Toronto Community Housing is doing, which is great. Uh, and obviously, uh, you do what you can within the means of what you got. However, the infrastructure and the, you know, uh, the buildings, they need a lot of work. And, yeah. and the staff need a lot of support. Like I, when I look at some of the staff that are at Toronto Community Housing, they are worked to the bone. Um, they have to be, you know, counselors, police, security, cook, clean, like they, they are doing everything. And I think it's not worked. I think uh, they have gotten to that point where they, they need that extra support. Uh, and I think that's where CMHA uh, was asked to come in and kind of help with that. Um, once they did that, uh, at one particular building, uh, the first one that we've been there for about nine years, they did see uh, some indicators of change that were important and, and easy to, uh, I guess, easy to uh, look at, like in terms of stats or whatever. You know, once we were in that building, uh, EMS calls started to go, went down, fire uh, you know, emergencies went down police interventions went down, um, feeling more safe, you know, uh, you know, through needs assessments, clients would be telling us that, you know, having our presence there actually, uh, helped, uh, help with the home, uh, that they were trying to have within Toronto community housing. So, you know, it, it's, uh, we just seem to be, uh, fitting in as a, a piece to kind of make some change uh, help things to uh, get better. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's complex, it's complicated. You can't really blame anyone. You can't mm-hmm. really do, do, you know, you can't go into that so much. We really just have to uh, reflect on like, okay, we're there. Hopefully we can make some change and, and, and make things a little better for people. So, yeah. 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 I can only imagine how difficult that must be for the people who do work there and how draining that must have been on them for such a long time, being so many different roles all at once and not having that um, well-rounded support, right? Um, so that's really, really incredible that they've been able to step in and start making those changes and provide that support so that things are slowly but surely getting like a little bit more you know, well-rounded, you know, so people are feeling safer and feeling that change. And uh, Melissa, how about you? Um, so our program, well, my program is uh, the housing initiative program. Mm-hmm. So basically we have clients that live in our, our, our housing long-term or for as long as they want, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we have scattered units throughout private buildings we have um, buildings that we um, have mostly our tenants in, 
and um, we, do, we have partnerships with several different types of agencies uh, in uh, the GTA. Uh, we do have a partnership with TCHC and uh, where we support the client, um, just like, you know, with um, everyday things, mm -hmm. um, with everyday housing things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with our housing, there's a partnership. So it's a partnership between case management and housing. So you can't get our housing unless you agree to having a case manager. And that's basically the deal that we made with um, the property managers that, you know, they want to they wanna, um, rent out their units to CMHA, great. But they also want to make sure that our clients are properly supported mm -hmm. with case management, which um, is an excellent deal for, you know, to be honest with you, because, yeah. um, you know, housing workers only do so much in regards to the housing realm. Mm -hmm. And case management is there for mental health, um, just everyday like resources, um, you know, anything really like they are the um, renaissance uh, workers. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, uh, our clients will um, get a, um, get referred from TAP and then we do an assessment the housing worker as well as the case manager does an assessment and we figure out if they are eligible and if the, the, the housing that we have planned for them is an actual fit for them. Um, and then we, you know, do a, a quick um, recap to our team and we figure out, um, is this good? Is this a good fit? And, and if they are, um, then we tell them and the clients basically uh, says, okay, when can I see the unit? So they see the unit, if they like it, they accept it. And the whole leasing thing happens. And um, the best part of that whole scenario though is, is when they come to the office to get their key for the first time. And oh my gosh. the smiles, the gratefulness, the gratitude yeah. is um, unbelievable. So I think that's my favorite part of like the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, wow. That just gave me yeah. like goosebumps a little bit just <laughs> imagining that yeah, and imagining how yeah, those feelings that that yeah. just must be yeah. such a big thing for people to just Because once take you in. have housing, literally like Mark said, your yeah. life can start, you know, you can, you know, find a job, you can apply mm -hmm. for IDs, you can you know, invite people over. You can get that reconnection with your family again, saying, yeah. I actually have somewhere to invite you to, you know, yeah. you can come over for dinner. You can sit on my couch. Like there's, you know, feeling like a person again, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's definitely where a lot of, I guess, the stigma comes in as well, right? Of like having from, I guess, outside perspectives or mm -hmm. whatever, um, having a home or having somewhere to just call home and actually feel safe. Like that is so incredibly important. And when you don't have that, how do you get anything else? Like it, it's impossible really. Like you can't do the steps that people will say, Oh, just do that. Oh, just get a job. Oh, just, yeah. you know, and like, it's not, it doesn't work that way at all. So having exactly. these incredible programs, that actually truly support people is such a big deal and having that 
space for them to just start to get their feet back on the ground again probably just feel like like you said feel like a human again you know feel like themselves and from there they can start doing all these other steps to you know make that progress and start thriving again yeah yeah wow yeah no i i absolutely love that and i cannot get the picture of someone grabbing their keys for the first time out of my head. They do their happy dance, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I really, really can. And like the um I guess I can only imagine and you can again correct me if I'm wrong, but how much this has probably the need for these programs have probably grown exponentially over the last few years with, uh, you know, the housing crisis that we're literally in right now and the absolutely horrid pricings of rent and the constant increasing um, and how like scary that is to see. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I'll just to quickly give kind of a context to that. Yeah. Um, so we we provide rent subsidies, like mobile mm -hmm. rent subsidies, which means uh, for the housing first portion of, of our program, uh, which means the the actual subsidy is attached to the person, not to the place. Mm -hmm. uh, but if, you know those subsidies come from obviously. Uh, outside sources coming in to get, you know, whether it's uh, government or private or whatever. Uh, but the last couple of years, we haven't gotten any new subsidies. Wow. Um, and, and the subsidies that we do have, uh, they just, you know, to give you a, a ballpark of it, they top out at around 1200. We can actually give a rent subsidy of $1,200 to someone on ODSP, for instance. An ODSP uh, rent shelter is around a little 500, 522, I think. So you combine 1,200 and 522, you're you're tapped out at a little over 1,700. Average cost of, of rent in, in Toronto right now is $3,000. If you want to get a bachelor unit, uh, like in Scarborough, uh, off of like like not on a transit line, not near a lot of amenities, like in a food desert and like nowhere near anything. Um, you're looking at, uh, you know, for bachelor units around 16 to 1800 bucks. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really tough. It's tough for people to get in there if they don't have, uh, if they don't have the means to kind of uh, pay for that. Um, I know that with, uh, and Melissa, you can speak to this, like with our housing, right? With rent subsidy built in, uh, in terms of like the, how much the rent is for, uh, you know, uh, clients to come to us and our house within CMHA. It, it's tough, right? Like it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. It, it's tough because you're speaking about the, the new funding. Yes. So the old yeah. funding is only about $500 that we can uh, top up to um, the subsidy, yeah. the rent subsidy that they would leave. So they get $500 from 
ODSP for rent, shel- uh, the portion, the shelter portion. Yeah. And then we're giving them $500. That's $1,000. That's no way um, going to cover anything. Not even and, the first room, not even like a mud room in, in any yeah. place, right? Like yeah. literally. And actually they, they were going to give us like the 500s. They were going to give us like, here, here's like, here's like 2,500s, like, you know, 20 rent subsidies at 500. Mm-hmm. We basically said, okay, let's, why don't we take 10 at a thousand? Because right. we're not going to house anyone. Uh, yeah. uh yeah, so that's that's the difficulty of it all right now. Like and the it's, socks it's are there. Really hard. Yeah. It's it's really hard because even when our clients are in our housing and they let's say that they wanna move, right? But they don't necessarily want to be in CMH housing. Mm-hmm. They wanna go for um like a, a mobile subsidy so they can find their own home because they've you know, they're more mentally stable and they don't necessarily need a case manager at this time. Right. They can't afford anything. No. So even if they're ready mentally to step a little bit away from CMHA, we can't provide that for them because yeah. the housing market is not giving them their independence. So we're in a system that makes people stuck and has no other options other than to, and I'm not saying CMHA is a great place to be with, right? But if someone's ready to, um, move on, it's very hard for them to do that with the exactly. subsidy and the money and the rent and the, the rent crisis that we have right now. It, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Which is so disheartening because like, that's literally what you're there for, right? Like to help them. You're not supposed to be ideally not the long-term place, right? Like you want to help them move forward so they can get to these places on their own. Like that's what you're there for. And then because of everything that's happening, they're just, it's cut off. Like there's no way, which yeah. And then people have nowhere to turn at all. You know, they can't continue that journey forward. It's a lot of crying. It's a lot of, you know, uh, frustration at the system, you know, at us because we can't, you know, like, and, and I get every single emotion that comes at us. Mm-hmm. I, I get it because I'm there right with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's a, uh... it's, oh, it's scary. Even as someone, like I'm an artist working in the city and like the rental prices of everything, like I am constantly just trying to figure out if I can pay rent this month. And like, just that's terrifying. Just, and I, you know, and I I have a job and I have these, I have a wonderful boss. I have these things. I'm very privileged in a lot of ways, but even still it's, you don't feel solid. And I think that the, this is where it's going to, um, this is where it's going to get people's attention Mm because it's hitting now people that have work that that are working full-time working two jobs working three jobs whatever like they're um they're going to experience it like i you know to to give you an example you know i i know uh a person uh the people in my life uh, that you know they're they're getting older um you know they have to plan for retirement they have to figure those things out um and you know uh, they're 
they have uh, solid work. And then all of a sudden the landlord says, um, I'm going to do some renovations. Uh, so I need you to move out. I need you to move out. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're saying like, you know, we need, we can't have you in there while we're doing the renovations. So here's, here's some money so you can go find another place. People don't know their rights. And I yeah. am only starting to learn this and that, you know, you have to, you have to really go and look at the landlord tenant. Uh, you have to kind of go there t- and, and see that landlords on their side of things, like they have, it's a business and they have to kind of take care of their business. So yeah. they need the money, but then the tenants that are in there, uh, they're also experiencing, uh, making sure that um, they have to they have to pay their rent. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, everyone's trying to make sure that they take care of themselves, paying mm-hmm. the rent, landlords making sure that all of their things get dealt with and paid for. But, um, but sometimes it, with vulnerable people uh, that don't know their rights, they might take that money and say, oh, thanks for taking that money. I'll go find another place. You're not going to find another place. And if you, and if you agree to that, uh, it might be difficult to fight that later in court or whatever, say I got reno evicted. uh, And uh, so, so like looking at your rights and figuring that out, uh, having, you know, uh, having, having things in place for yourself is more and more important, Mm. uh, not only for people who are vulnerable because of uh, homelessness, but also now the working person. And I think that yeah. we're gonna, people are gonna understand this more. So, and I think that's yeah. that's what happened with like the pandemic yeah. and, and mm-hmm. now with the housing crisis. People, yeah. you know, the government, you know, they saw mental health as a, a, a thing that affected a certain demographic. Yes, yes. But then when the pandemic came, everyone was getting depressed. Everyone was isolation. Everyone was experiencing some type of mental health. So now with the, the homeless crisis and the renting crisis, um, everyone is experiencing it. And now it's something to talk about, right? which is good and bad because yes. the problems always existed. Exactly. Right. But um, hopefully, you know, we will be talking about more solutions than problems in the near future. Yeah. 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 yeah that definitely comes with a very mixed emotional, you know, state because it's, really infuriating that that's what it takes for people to actually want to start having the conversations, you know, and opening up that dialogue more, you know, like it shouldn't take that long, you know, it shouldn't have to get that far before, you know, bigger steps are made, you know, so those who have been doing the hard work all along and experiencing these things all along, it's frustrating, but also like, finally, you know, it can also like, finally, people are hearing us. Finally, people are seeing us, you know, and yeah, so that's just, it's a very like a, just a weird kind of state to be in um, mentally and emotionally, you know, I'm sure it, it's, it's good. It's very good because we need to have these conversations, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's also a little bit like, okay, <laughs> but what about the people who've been here this whole time? Yeah, you know, with CMHA, uh, we're there to kind of uh, make sure that something can happen that's respectful for uh, the tenant, 
but also, uh, you know, respectful for the building managers that, that have decided to uh, allow CMHA to be tenants as well in that building. So it's a definitely, I don't like, I know Melissa, you could speak to this better than me, but like, it's, it's a tight rope uh, that you're walking on. Um, and then we also have, uh, we have a little bit of a conflict of interest within our own agency uh, that we, we are constantly trying to uh, uh, figure out how to work with that because as Melissa kind of noted before, you know, like we have housing workers and we have case managers. Mm-hmm. Case managers are purely there for the, uh, for the clients and for clients that are tenants. And housing workers, they also have, like, they're there to maintain that relationship with that building. And we all have to kind of come together to go, okay, how do we, how do we make sure that the housing stay, that that's the goal is to keep the housing. Um, However, there are scenarios where if a person is not doing well, if they are going through some pretty major mental health and addictions types uh, of, of concerns. How do we uh, ensure their their safety, and how do we ensure the safety of the people that are around them? Again, in a respectful and in a confidential and in a in a way to make sure that that uh, privacy and uh, and everything is is upheld as best that we can. So it's not it's it's a delicate it's a delicate dance. Mm-hmm. Speaking of dancing, right? You know, like <laughs> what you did. So, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think with um, housing workers and case managers, um, we do have very, two very different roles, but yeah. they are um, intertwined. So um, the housing workers, yes, we're responsible for, you know, unit inspections and um, maintaining a relationship with the property manager and making sure that repairs are done. And mm-hmm. as well as, you know, getting, you know, having a, a, a relationship with our clients, right? Yes. So we know that if we go into a, a unit and the baseline is usually clean, but like the bedroom's a mess, they're fine. Yeah. But if we go in and everything's a mess and the bedroom's clean, we're going to have some questions, right? Mm. Like what's, what's, what's happening, right? Um, we don't have as much wiggle room as um, case management to be as lenient because right. we do have the LTB. We do have um, responsibilities to the property manager and owner. Uh, and we do have our lease with the property managers. Uh, um, so we have to be more strict and organized in regards to like what we can let go. But we also know and property owners also know that uh, we are dealing with clientele that is going to need more help. Yes. So in regards to that, we, we are in constant com- communication with uh, the case managers. We, we, when, when things happen over the weekend, we're the first ones to know about it because property managers will be like, hey. <laughs> and then we're like, let's do a joint visit, case managers. Let's go now, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, I, I, I get case managers are, are, are there for the clients. We are there for the clients as well. Um, it's just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got to work together in regards to how to make that play out best for the client. 
Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, um, we both come from, you know, we're, we're at CMHA. So our philosophy, our vision, everything, we kind of fall into, uh, supporting the person. Um, but the other, the other aspects that are, that are, you know, like the, the landlord, like say the super of the building or mm-hmm. police officers or security guards, they're, they don't follow the same kind of yeah. philosophy, same type of, so, so we're also educating those guys. We're also trying to say, Hey, you know, you, like you can't speak to people like that, or, you know, we can't get into that, you know, you, you, you know, you can't say things like that about a person and say, you know, um, they know that they're working with our service. So all of a sudden these, these words come out that you're kind of like, no, you can't, we're not talking about that. And, and sometimes it works. I'd say more often now, like it's getting better where you're, you're getting people going, okay. And they realize, they realize they've just been challenged around like their, their thoughts and their stick, like having a stigma Mm -hmm. against someone who works with CMHA or is experiencing some sort of trauma that may have led them to using substances and things like that. Exactly. But then, you know, there are some, there are some landlords and police officers and stuff like that, that they don't, they're just like, I'm here to do this and I'm going to do this. And you're kind of like, okay, how do we do it safely though? How right. do we, how do we support this person? Mm-hmm. How do we, not turn this into a situation where someone ends up in an ambulance uh, or in the back of a police uh, cruiser. Um, so, so yeah, I would like, you know, housing workers, case managers, uh, other tenants, other people in the building that know that person to come in and, and, and kind of go, wait, wait, let's, let's just treat each other like people here and try to figure yeah. out how to do this, you know, so it's um again i you know the metaphor of dancing it's if your partner <laughs> if your partner is a terrible dancer you got to take it on a bit more and help them along yeah uh, or or get them in there and, and get them to kind of learn the steps with you because exactly you know yeah 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 you need that um, think with- full support all the way yeah. around yeah. yeah i think with that with the full support it's um also you know our, our clients like to talk about their rights, but we have to res- we have to you know remind them they also have responsibilities. Yes. Right? So it it goes hand in hand, and sometimes it's hard for them to um, acknowledge that. But then at the same time, it's like okay, well let's go over your lease. You know, let's go over if you were uh, a neighbor and you were hearing all these things, how would you feel? Right? Like it's a yeah. lot of you know reminding them. This is not normal. This may be normal to you, but if everyone else is saying, oh my God, that's a problem. Um, we got to be mindful of, you know, other people's feelings as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. It's like a, yeah, it has to be like a full team effort to kind of keep that community feeling, Yeah. you know, so that, you know, they can still receive that support, even if they have done something maybe they shouldn't have or, you know, caused a problem, you know, Mm -hmm. and trying to turn that into, I guess, like a learning, a learning curve for them instead of a, Mm -hmm. oh, no, now you got to start from scratch, you know, like take that Mm -hmm. moment, 
have yeah. those conversations, try to keep everything as respectful as possible so that they can learn from it and ideally grow from it as well, instead of just being thrown 10 steps backwards after doing all this work. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think this goes back again to the, you know, um, hasn't hit me. It'll never hit me. I, I, I'm not susceptible mm-hmm. to that. It got this, you know, we had, you know, if you're in a stable job, stable relationship, consistently just kind of moving on in life with, you know, working and school and all of that. Uh, we, we have lots of people that, that have, uh, have used our service over the, I mean, I, I, I've been working in this long enough that I can kind of go back and say, I've worked with a doctor. I've worked with a lawyer. I've worked with, I've worked with some pretty prominent people, um, but they're lost, you know, in terms of like, no one remember, you, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I'm sh- they're not someone that, that is reflected back on. They, they kind of fell to the way, wayside, mm-hmm. carried on with their life, but all of their colleagues and coworkers and that, that maybe it didn't work out very well um, for various reasons, probably don't give that person a, a, a second thought. They don't know that. So they don't, so right off the bat, they kind of go, I'm just carrying on with my life. It'll never happen to me. But meanwhile, yeah. it doesn't take much for, for things to fall apart. And then it could be, you You know, you could be uh, mm-hmm. experiencing that. Um, so, you know. It's literally in the back of my mind all the time, you know, like I'm two, two paychecks away from being, you know, one of my clients basically, you know, yeah. like, or I'm one situation away from, you know, getting depressed. So um, you know, you only can do what you can do, but at the same time, like, you know, we're living, you know, in a world that we, we're not in control of, right? Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think that's where a lot of my personal um, frustration, I think, comes in with, especially with like the stigma that surrounds homelessness and all of that is like how quickly it can happen to literally anybody and just because you are in that scenario right now does not say you deserve it or you are a bad person or whatever that you're violent that you deserve this like absolutely not and so many people just kind of jump to these negative conclusions about someone who is struggling and you know again it can happen to literally anybody and the fact that a lot of people just kind of, it just goes over their head or they're just totally oblivious to that. Like it kind of takes the humanity out of it, you know, and then they're just kind of looking at them as like a statistic instead of an actual human being. And like, we are all here on this planet that is constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, going through a lot. (laughs) And like all of us are struggling throughout various levels of different things. And we're all human, you know, we all deserve to have a safe space to just like live and heal and, you know, work to get better when you are struggling through something, whether it be a mental illness or an addiction or anything, you know, like we need the space to literally when, yeah. um, um, one client that I have that I work with at a shelter, um, whenever he hears the the phrase, the pandemic is over, mm. he gets really triggered because this is a guy that had a business, had a home, yep. 
um, the pandemic literally wiped everything out for him. Yeah. He's first time at 63 in shelters. Uh, he has no more money, no savings. And um, he's entering this whole sector first time in his life. And he realizes like, he's like, people don't even look at me. I'm invisible, yeah. you know? Um, because of where he lays his head at night. Yep. So imagine this is just him coming in at this time. And basically everyone who's been in the system forever, they feel probably, you know, more than invisible. I don't even know if there's a term, but like more than invisible, you know, to people that, um, you know, have, you know, preconceived notions about them, you know, Mm -hmm. and really hurtful thoughts. Yeah. The uh, just again, it really comes back to like trauma, mm-hmm. what, you know, in various forms, like it could happen years and years ago or it could happen. You know, uh, that guy experienced trauma, obviously. Right. Like, I mean, it's a traumatic event that he went through. Everything just gone. He's 60, 62, like, you know, um, it, you know, we've got people that are coming to us voluntarily like cmha for the most part our programs are voluntary we we try to like for for our uh, pro like the housing first and the uh strengthening communities in scarborough our, our housing first comes through uh, uh people get referred through the access point which is like this big umbrella kind of service through uh, the scarborough uh strengthening communi- communities in scarborough it's low barrier it's just they literally just have to call me my card is kind of out there and then we do we do an intake and it it doesn't matter you know uh, if they have any diagnosis or mm-hmm. involvement with addictions or mental health we don't care like if they want to use our service and i guess to kind of go to the point what i was trying to get to uh, is if someone is experiencing homelessness and experiencing kind of like being invisible like melissa you know says it's almost as though they they've been dehumanized also by themselves. Yeah. You know, they, they don't deserve anything. I'm, I'm not worth it. And, you know, and I think that that also kind of plays a part, even in trying to house someone that, you know, you know, that, yeah, the happiest day is to get the keys in their hand. Sometimes they can't even get there. You know, they don't show up. They just, they don't show up. Something happens. They start uh, using or, uh, you know, some other kind of coping strategy to go, I can't handle this because yeah. nobody's ever given me anything. No one's ever cared about what I wanted. And all of a sudden now you got someone doing that. Uh, it's like this visceral uh, reaction to it. It's kind of like, I, I can't. And then all of a sudden you've lost that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it just really comes back to kind of stigma that's out there in society and then the self stigma that kind of comes with it. Um, and it's, it's horrifying, you know, like it's terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. Or the clients that don't, um, that take the keys and then they don't end up staying in the unit. Right. Because they're so used to being on the street and they're comfortable in this little area that they have called home. And then when they get to the apartment that we just gave them, they're like, 
this doesn't feel like home to me. I know it's mine, but I, I'm not comfortable here yet. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes a while for them to actually, you know, self-soothe and, and, and have some positive self-talk about, you know, where I was is doesn't necessarily mean that I, I have to be there all the time. You know, exactly. there is transition, there is growth. Yep. Um, you know. Yeah. And being okay with, you know, saying that you deserve that. You know, you saying, I deserve this space, you know, and that's so, I, it's so hard to just like feel that for yourself and not be constantly expecting the worst because of what has happened over time, you know, what has happened in your life history so far. Um, and then there's the automatic trauma responses as well. Like, you know, here's something good. I had something good before and it got destroyed. That's probably going to happen again. So why even let it, why even let it start? Like why let myself get happy if I'm just going to lose it all again anyways, you know, and the, just that spiraling thought process. Um, yeah, it can be, I imagine, incredibly difficult to just actually even just say yes to the help that is there for them and feel that they deserve it and, you know, it's hard for me to say yes to a lot of things, right? Same. It's hard for me to yeah. make compliments, yeah. right? So, I mean, it's such a human experience, that, you know, exactly. to be like, oh, no, I don't deserve that. Or, you know, <laughs> like, so, oh, yeah, it's it's such a thing that we do all the time. And then when you take it to those extreme levels, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking. And it's really difficult to come out of that space, you know. Um, are there any last final, I guess, just like notes or things that either one of you would like to share? In regards to like stigma, I, I remember I can mm -hmm. tell you the story about my dad. Um, when I first graduated from school um, and I got um, a job in the hospital uh, and he he was like calling me every day because people's imaginations go wild because I worked in the psych unit. Mm -hmm. So he thought that I was very unsafe and, um, you know, anything could happen. Um, and I asked him after month four, when is this going to stop? <laughs> you know, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, I, I, I just don't, I can't, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, you know, you're working with people that are unpredictable. And, and I said, dad, I don't see it like that. I said, I, I see the people that I work with are the bravest humans in this world. They actually are literally telling people out loud they have a problem. They want help. They're going somewhere for help. Yeah. And if I can, you know, be part of that world. And I said, it's a privilege when people tell you anything about their life. Mm -hmm. And for them to tell you about the most um, private, you know, um, part of their life. Yeah, it's a privilege. And then from that point on, my dad did not call me every day. I mean, he called me once a week to say, <laughs> hey, but yeah, um, I think when you educate people that have such strong visions of what you are walking into, yeah. and you give them a different viewpoint of things. Um, it, it helped my dad, you know, it, it helped my dad. So I think it helps people if they realize that you know, we're not dealing with weak people by any means. We're not dealing with, you know, people that just don't got it together. We're dealing yeah. with some of the bravest people 
um, ever in this world. So I think yeah, have- I, I'm always, uh, it's such a privilege, right? You're when you do an intake and the person just, you know, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, you, you don't have to tell me anything. You don't, don't, you know, and, and I think like that, there's, there's also that obligation or whatever. Sometimes people who have been through the mental health system, it could go either way. It could go many ways, but it could be like, I've already told my story. I'm done. I am not getting, I'm not going there. I'm not going to uh, mm. put myself through that again. I don't want to do it. And yeah. then there's, you know, there's some people that just, they want to give you it all. And you're like, and, um, and I think like now in my, uh, like where I am, uh, I'm based out of Scarborough with housing for Scarborough and strengthening communities in Scarborough, uh, and, you know, having people, uh, in Toronto community housing who, uh, they just met me, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're welling up. They're like, you're, you know. You're like, I just need someone to talk to. Like, uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, who cares about diagnosis? Who cares about uh, any of this uh, stuff that that obviously when it comes to treatment and it comes to kind of getting, we'll get there if you want it. Uh, but it really just comes down to a, one person interacting with another person and feeling safe. Yeah. Far none, that is like the key to it all. Uh, feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Um having a home, feeling safe, being able to have an interaction with someone and feeling safe. And there's too many people that come to us that they don't have that at all. Like they're completely cut off, isolated, uh, not able to. And I think if anything, what Melissa does, uh, what I do, uh, and everyone else at CMHA really, it just comes down to we just want to hear what people have to say and hopefully we can be some sort of a support at the end of the day. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing that hearing you both say that it's a privilege is so special, honestly. (laughs) Um, you know, because I, I know a lot of people don't have that mindset and it is a beautiful privilege to have to be able to be there for people and support them and offer them as much as you are able to and you know just yeah providing that safe space for them to open up and feel heard and feel seen and just yeah feel that support that you're able to give them so thank you both for what you do and the work that you've put in um I am extremely grateful to CMHA and all that they do. So yes, I really, really appreciate both of you and the programs that are out there. And I am really grateful to have had this conversation and learned more myself about what is actually experienced and what is out there and provided for people. So thank you. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much, Mark and Melissa for joining us today. And until next time, this is Moving Beyond Stigma.